Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Sample Hour. I'm your host, Andrew Sample. Thank you again for tuning in. Um, just, you know, first thing, you know, sorry about the delay. I've been very busy trying to get, get stuff going with um, the Urban Gardening and then just got back from Toronto for another great show with uh, Dean Del Rey and Red Band. Um, so going to have Dean Del Rey coming out to Columbus here September 18th. So there'll be more information and ticket links for that. So if you are in the Columbus area, please come out and support the show. Um, Dean is one of the funniest comics out there right now. So, uh, but for this episode, I was happy to have on the Duke of Permaculture, the bad boy of permaculture. He is the author and owner of richsoil.com. He also is the author and owner of coderanch.com, permies.com. He is a former software engineer. Um, he has his own podcast, which I highly recommend you you check out. So it is uh, Permaculture and Homesteading with Paul Wheaton. So if you just search in iTunes or however you look, if, if you go to richsoil.com, you can find his podcast. Um, otherwise, I use iTunes personally. So if you go to iTunes, just search Paul Wheaton. So that's P-A-U-L space W-H-E-A-T-O-N. Super great. It's a great podcast. So I've I've been really thoroughly enjoying listening to it. I've learned quite a bit from listening to it. This episode, I actually I brought I broke it up into two episodes. This is part one. Um, I've been having I had some issues. And I didn't realize it until I started working. It's recording this episode with Paul. So the equipment I use to connect my recording device to my laptop. So when I record for Skype, there's something wrong with the connection, and I don't. I don't know. I have to order a new cable. So the audio is kind of spotty early on, but then afterward it picks up. And then there's in part two, there's another section, but I'll explain that in the intro on part two. Anyways, without further ado, please listen and enjoy. So anyways, guys, thanks again for listening and uh, I'll be getting another episode out to you soon. gentlemen welcome to another episode of the sample hour uh i am honored today to have the duke of permaculture named by well named by jeff lawton the duke of permaculture the bad boy of permaculture he is the owner of richsoil.com which is a phenomenal website go to richsoil.com sign up for his dailyish email great information and all that and while you're at it register for his forum it is permies.com, and that's P-E-R-M-I-E-S. Uh, I found this person through his amazing World Domination Gardening DVD series. I was on a, a website when I first started getting on this whole growing my own food journey, and it recommended that I uh, they had a list of permaculture links, and I was like, well, this looks interesting. It's, it's a three-DVD set, so I bought it and downloaded it and watched it, and... Uh, I was blown away by the information I got for it. So thank you for joining me, Mr. Paul Wheaton. Thanks, Drew. Hey, I, I got a question for you. We're getting started. Yes, sir. So so here you are. You're a podcast guy, right? You got your yeah. podcast. And you got you got stuff, right? You got 
you get now if somebody asks you hey drew what do you do what what do you say to them uh what would i say i would say hmm yeah <laughs> I, Time's up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I think you're making shit up. <laughs> I do so Four much. Star. <laughs> I do so much stuff, and I'm not trying to sound like um. Oh, I do so much stuff. I'm so so interesting. As you're introducing me as you're talking about the stuff that I've done, and I'm thinking like, oh yeah. Then there's the the YouTube videos and the podcast. Oh, I totally forgot about your YouTube videos and podcasts. And, and, and like, uh, I'm kind of thinking like, how do you describe a guy that does this? stuff yeah he's just, just apeshit about a topic and then he just kind of like you know i got to see things <laughs> Goes out of the, good thing there's the internet <laughs> and, <laughs> and then i could i could just dump all this stuff and it's like that's what do you do for a living oh i'm a stuff dumper that's awesome though i want to be a stuff dumper seriously what do you say what's the <laughs> I mean, there's certain kinds of crowds you're in, you know, and it's like uh, it's it's rather formal. You don't want to embarrass your girlfriend. And so it's like uh, you will say, uh, I'm a writer. I I just uh, I write, you know, these little things. It's uh, for my own entertainment purpose. I, write. <laughs> I have humor needs and I write for myself. <laughs> I, I don't know. What do you? Uh, so you got nothing either. I thought I was going to get some help here, and I got nothing. <laughs> I would say, I mean, I would, I mean, honestly, it's we, it's really hard to describe what you're doing, which which is one of the reasons why, I mean, for most people, because I actually discovered uh, permaculture through the film Inhabit, which blew me away, and I don't know if you've had a chance to check that out yet. Um, uh, I I haven't checked it out, although um, permies.com. I uh, was a big supporter of getting it going. Yeah. Of getting, in fact, I supported their first Kickstarter. They actually had two Kickstarters, and I supported their first one, which was like four years ago. Um, but but that's another story for another day. But but I haven't <laughs> seen it yet. It's it's <laughs> it's pretty awesome. I mean, yeah, I got it. I bought it for uh, I bought it for ten dollars from this site Yakura. I don't know. It's this new film site, um, and you can buy it on Vimeo too. But as uh, I've listened to your uh, Permaculture Orchard review and heard uh, the distaste that you also have for Vimeo, I'm not a Vimeo is uh, kind of glitchy, man, and it's it's uh, it can work well, but most of the time I feel like I just am like, what the what the fuck, Vimeo? Like, it's, uh, it's got to be working for somebody, but I think what it might actually be is one of those things where fashion hurts, baby, and <laughs> and it's like. So it's like putting on high-heeled shoes. Women putting on high-heeled shoes. It's like, oh, it makes my ass look so good, but boy, these shoes fucking hurt. Yeah. And so I think it's like it's gotten to be this place where it's like, oh, all the cool people go to Vimeo. We all know it's broken as fuck, but that's where <laughs> the cool people are. Yeah. So it's like because – or either that or it actually works for somebody because it, it's like no matter what my internet connection is or what computer I'm using – it has to pause like every three minutes, and I and I, which kills me because I kind of feel like some amazing, brilliant artist put together an amazing piece of art. Yeah, and and they've thought through like every second in order to provoke an emotion from you as you're watching it to build something inside of you. So now you have the appetite for the next moment. 
and and, and kind of a thing. And they've done a, a masterful, amazing job at it. And I love drinking that in. Yeah. And then it stops right in the fucking middle of it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> buffering. Yeah, it's uh, it's so. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> It's like it's so frustrating. It's like it's it's amazing that we could just click a link and watch a movie now. We don't have to mess with a DVD or cassette tape or any of that stuff. But it's like, man, and the shit doesn't work. It's like, what the fuck, man? What? How are you guys compressing this? What are you doing? Um, why is Vimeo? Why is Vimeo so broken? But YouTube works fine. Yeah. And Netflix works fine. Yeah. Even Amazon Instant Video works great. I don't know if you've uh, had any. Experience. Uh, have you yeah, Amazon Instant Video is like up there. It's all it's it's better than Vimeo, which isn't really saying a whole lot. But it it's not as good as YouTube or Netflix, in my no. experience. I mean, it still has a couple of little glitches in it. Yeah, for me. yeah. It's uh, I, I. They seem to have better documentaries now that I've noticed. Like then, uh, Net, like Netflix seemed to dump a lot of good. Well, just for like stuff about food or farming. Um, uh, but, uh, I, I, I agree. I think Netflix is probably, probably the best than followed by YouTube. Um, I think those two seem to have their algorithms, uh, done the best. Um, and speaking of algorithms, one thing that people should know is that in your previous life, you were a software engineer in corporate America. And uh, then I died. <laughs> then I was reborn. <laughs> um, uh, right. I, I did software engineering. I I like to think in my arrogant mind that I was fucking awesome at it. Um, I had a lot of philosophies about software engineering that were different from the norm. Um, and uh, uh, I would write about those. And I seem to build uh, built a little bit of an audience around that. So I still have a website that's still going on software engineering uh, called CodeRanch.com uh, or and it was formerly called javaranch.com. I imagine that it's kind of funny. Like if I stand in front of a big audience, it's like, how many of you have ever used Java Ranch? You know, and there's like a lot of people that raise their hands. But I'm there to talk about permaculture. And I, it's like, uh, I think a lot of people got through college with the help of Java Ranch. <laughs> yeah. So that's like, I don't understand this assignment. <laughs> and then they, you know, go to Java Ranch and, and that's where they get their help. Well, what's interesting to me, too, outside of the fact that, I mean, I, I feel like, I, I feel like, you know, engineering, I think, is kind of engineering. I think, I, I don't think, I think a lot of people might see that that's a weird transition. I don't really. I think the weirder transition is the fact that you have this awesome, outgoing personality. And most code writers that I'm familiar with, like, are like, oh, code writing takes your soul away and all this other stuff. Or they're not... They're not super friendly people, um, and it, maybe that's just me being, you know, judgy. Um, but I mean, it, just in my experience, like most code writers I know are pretty introverted, and like you're, you're not, you're not at all. And it might be a lot of work, and it might be something you, you came about. But I, I, I think it's, um, I think that's kind of interesting too. Like I think like just you, just you and your interests, and like you can, you can take something that to a lot of people um, might be. I guess a little, a little harder to comprehend, but you make it sound really easy to comprehend. If that makes sense. I, I think that in the world of software engineering, it's easy to create and downhill ever since the evil empire got hold of it. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. It, it, it's like, it's free and there's other, do you think there's any better alternatives to Skype right now? 
I'm going to say yes, there are. I don't know what they are. Yeah. I think that's a low bar. Yeah. In 2015. And um, I remember reading somewhere, somebody was like saying, here's what we use instead of Skype now. And I, and I thought, I should write that down. <laughs> and I didn't. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I know that Google's got a thing that they're trying to push, but it's got even more problems than Skype. Yeah, Google Hangouts, are, it's, a pile yeah. of, it's a pile of poop. I haven't been a fan of it. Um, All right. Let's get back to it. Yeah, Let's, absolutely. I'll try to talk about software engineering. Yeah. So, um, as you were saying, in the world oh, of right. software engineering. So, so we, before Skype rudely kicked us in the nuts, <laughs> uh, uh, I was talking about software engineering. I have, I have looked at some code. In fact, at the last job I worked at where I, was, I would like show up there and, and do work for software engineering, um, while on the, on the side, I was passionately you know, doing everything permaculture. Um, I wrote down the number 671 on a little yellow sticky note and stuck it up, and I looked at it every day. And the number 671 was because I had taken somebody else's um, uh, component, and I rewrote it from scratch. And mine did everything that theirs did, but mine was 671 times smaller. Wow. And, and so I, I like the idea. I, I found pleasure in creating things that were small and clean and simple. And the, the way I, I'm going to try to, you know, the work I did was, most of the work I did was before there was a Google but before there was a Google, we had Yahoo for searching, and we had a few other things. But if you would go to Yahoo, it's like, okay, try to find where you type in the stuff for searching. It's you know this huge mass of stuff. And um, but with Google, there's you know it's pretty clear where you type in what you're searching for. And yeah. so I kind of feel like the work I did was more like Google. Um, but I had lots of things that I did. Uh, another one I'd like to ask about an audience is who used Bananacom. And so in the, uh, in the era before the, uh, the internet became popular in 94, 95, somewhere in there, I had some software that I put out there uh, called Bananacom. And uh, it became the most popular of its type. There were like 50 different packages and mine was the most popular. And, and what made it popular is, is that it was really simple. There was really nothing to it, whereas all the others had bazillions of features and I, I just got, you know, I just kind of felt like people, most people, like geeks love zillions of features, but most people just want to get their work done. Yeah. And, you know, and these features make it so that you can configure your software so it no longer works. <laughs> and, and so what I wanted was something that you couldn't configure it to not work. It would always work. And it became just overnight, just became wildly popular and and so then that was but yeah software engineering i used to be a software engineer um i and i kind of feel like yes as you said so much of that carries over to what i do now um it's it's like in order to build something with other people i feel like there is a very critical language that's extremely important both with software engineers and with permaculture people or with farmers or with gardeners or, or natural builders. And I call it the language of the engineers 
And it, without it, you can't build things. And, and yet the language of the engineers is spoken by just a very few people, like, like maybe only 2% of the population. And most people speak a language that's, that's closer to the language of the politician. Yeah. Not because they're like, yay, politics, but because that's what they're subjected to on a daily basis. <coughs> people have learned that if you present your opinion as a fact, there's a better chance you'll get buy-in and the people that are around you will uh, change their behavior to better suit you. So people will present their opinion as a fact and then they'll say something like, if they're called on it, like that's just your opinion, that's not really a fact. If they're called on it, they'll say, oh, that's just a figure of speech. Just as lying is a figure of speech. You know, yeah. bullshit is a figure of speech. So it's like, um, and it is, this is, you can't call people on it because this is their way of communicating. You need to speak their language if you're going to communicate with them. Whereas with the language of the engineers, I mean, I've heard people say something like, nobody can always be right. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? It's, it's easy for somebody to always be right. All you got to do is qualify everything you say. <laughs> if you start everything you ever say in all of your life with, I think, then whatever comes after I think is absolutely true. <laughs> and anybody that says, no, you doubt, they're, they're, that person is claiming to be able to read your mind. And on top of that, they clearly suck at it. <laughs> so it's like, no, all you got to do is say, I think. And everything that comes out of your pie hole is the truth, provided it starts with, I think. Yeah. Now you're always right. Always. So, Drew, is this what you wanted to talk about? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just happy to uh, be able to have you on and pick your mind because, uh, I mean, I, uh, I agree with you 100%. Um, and, uh, and, and so, so, I mean, so, so for the transition, so, I mean, you're a software engineer. How did you start? I heard you on uh, my friend. Well, he doesn't do it anymore, but two beers with Steve um, I, when I was <laughs> preparing. And it was like a quick interview. And I was like, Steve, why didn't you have Paul on longer? Um, but in that podcast, you said, uh, you know, one summer you just decided you wanted to get into gardening and you read like 100 books on gardening. Oh, uh, right. So um, and this is about the Bananacom time, too. <clears throat> um, so it was like, uh, I don't know, 1993, I think. I planted a garden the way anybody should be able to plant a garden. Anybody else should have been able to do this and had great success. Just You just go out and it's like, oh, look, at the <laughs> store, they got the, the seeds, the little packets with the little seeds and little pictures on watermelon. Who doesn't like watermelon? And so you kind of think, I'm just going to take these seeds and I'm going to go home. And stick them in the ground. And then, boing, food jumps out of the ground. And for a lot of people, that will totally work. That's all you got to do. And for me, that did not work. That did, that did not happen. And, and it's like, in fact, pretty much everything died. Uh, in fact, all I got were like, like a few teeny tiny really sad looking potatoes. <laughs> and, and then I felt terrible. I felt like, oh, 
I killed these things. These were beautiful creatures. And I, through my ignorance, they all died. I'm a horrible person. And so I, I got obsessed. I, I read over a hundred gardening books in one summer. And, and then I had a, I have, I've had beautiful gardens ever since. Yeah. Uh, but I became so obsessed in this space that it's been with me ever since. And, and every year I, I obsess more and more and more. And it's, you know, when you've read all those books, what do you do next? <coughs> and, and so there's been every year, there's been a new thing of like being obsessed about raw and, and, and getting better and better and better and better and better until you get to the, finally the point that whenever you talk to anybody about anything, you're seriously fucking crazy. <laughs> you try to talk to somebody, they're like, I love to compost. And, and it's like, Oh man, don't ever compost again. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you, you end up with your gardener's gold, but you think about it, you put like a hundred pounds of raw, raw matter in like raw compostable matter in, and you got five pounds of compost back. Where'd all that other stuff go? Yeah. And, and the answer is it went into the atmosphere, um, carbon and nitrogen, as it composted, went up into the atmosphere. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Carbon and nitrogen, that's the exact stuff that I want in my soil. Yeah. And, and so, and then on top of that, there's that whole carbon in the atmosphere thing, which leads to that whole, you know, greenhouse gases and global warming yeah. and climate change. And congratulations, Mr. Composter, you're fucking up the planet. That, that's actually something interesting that, um, I didn't even think about that because I've been like feeling really good about myself for composting. But then I was like, I always feel like this would be so much better if I could just feed this all to pigs or uh, if I had some chickens. Ah, uh, 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 yes, yes. But see, here's the point is that you start traveling down this road and anything you say starts to sound fucking nuts. <laughs> like, like composting is not good for gardening. This guy should be locked up. Put him away. He's fucking nuts. So it's you gotta be you gotta be careful. You, you gotta you gotta find out like how much that person knows and how much they're ready to hear. You know, I, I love how Sepp Holzer says, wherever you're going to have your animals, make sure you plant lots of poisonous plants. Yeah. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Yeah. Sounds like this guy's fucking killing his animals, man. That's not cool. And and it's like, ah, but there's more to the story that you do not yet know. And, and that's going to be that <coughs> consider for a moment instinct. I mean, when, when a baby calf is born, the, the calf doesn't like go out and start reading up on nutrition. <laughs> but, but, you know, first of all, the calf kind of has this idea of like the, the milk from the udder from mom. That is the best and then the calf starts, you know, trying out some of the, the little growies around. And then at the same time, there's going to be some growies that are going to be like, oh, yum. And some growies. this is instinct. I mean, we have instinct, too. It's just not nearly as strong. So, for example, if I bake a pie and you're in my house, then your instinct says, must put pie in pie hole. <laughs> You're getting these ideas of like, I want the pie to come out 
and I know it will be so hot that it will peel the skin off of my tongue, but I have to put it there anyway. That's your, you know, but at the same time, if I've got like this big uh, festering piece of roadkill and I say, Drew, want some? <laughs> then your instinct will say, <laughs> kind of suggesting does not go in pie hole. And, and so that's our instinct. But now animals have it like a hundred times stronger. So now they're out in a pasture, booking along, doing their thing, minding their own business. And there's, uh, you know, a little bit of grass. And they're like, hey, turns out I totally like grass. And they, they eat the grass and then they go along and here's a little bit of clover. Whoa, this stuff is good. And then they come by a little bit of uh, something totally toxic and noxious and poisonous and bad for them. And and uh, I'm trying to think of something, but I'm not coming up with anything. I'm try- I've got I can see the plant in my head that I want to use it as an example. Poison hemlock. <laughs> you know it's bad because it's got poison right in the name. Yeah. All right. Poison hemlock comes by the poison hemlock and and smells it and goes, "Oh, that is that is nasty." I that I I am not going to eat any. In fact, I'm going to walk ten paces away so I don't even accidentally get because oh, that is terrible. That's awful. Now, you know, cow goes long, living the cow days, and one day the cow is kind of like, oh man, oh man, too much grass yesterday. I think I fermented it wrong in my third stomach. Oh man. Oh, oh. Now, today, that plant that was toxic yesterday, suddenly today, that's kind of smelling good. It's like grass does not smell good today. And uh, uh, the clover and the alfalfa, that doesn't smell good today. But that, that plant that yesterday was poison, I need a little bit of that. Just, oh, oh, oh. And then you eat a little bit, and it's like, oh. Man, I feel a little bit better. This this is how an animal self-medicates. This it's their instinct that makes them healthy. But then if you as a farmer have caged the animal and said all you get is moldy hay, and then and then the animal gets sick, you're taking on the responsibility now of of uh having to medicate that animal to make it feel better. But you're, you know, how much do you really know about the animal's physiology and what it needs in order to feel better or what, how, how, what, what kind of sick. It doesn't even speak English for crying out loud. <laughs> so earlier I made the point of saying like wherever you have pasture for animals, make sure to plant lots of poisonous plants. Sounded crazy, but now I bet it sounds a lot less crazy. Absolutely. No, and it, um, it makes sense. I think uh, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is, is, I mean, that's something you're going to find poisonous plants in nature. So, I mean, it's, and that's the, with permaculture, replicating nature is, is pretty much everything or helping to regenerate nature is pretty much everything. So it makes, it makes sense along those, I mean, especially along those lines. I think so. <laughs> I, I've, I've subscribed to permaculture. Yeah. Permaculture. <laughs> Awesome. So I, I 100% agree. So, so how did you make, so, so you start gardening um, and, and we, we, you know, you read all these books, you get obsessed with it. 
Um, when are you at the point to where you're in? Because now, for my listeners that don't know, Paul has. Uh, we'll we'll get to it because I mean, <laughs> your community is, is awesome, and, and what where you're at now compared to corporate America is so far <laughs> removed. So you're in corporate America, and I've, I've heard you talk about this too. You are, are pretty much a contractor uh, most of the time. Um, is that correct, or am I wrong? Yeah, I'd say most of the time I was a contractor. At the end of my career, it was exclusively being a contractor. And, um, and so, how did you end up? Because a con. So, what made you like make the transition from from gardening? Because I heard you talk. Because um, weren't you really into like lawn care too for a while? <laughs> so, in nineteen ninety four, I think um, I'm starting to get obsessed about. You know, I read all the gardening books, and I'm doing. So I I uh, I wrote an article about lawn care, um, and I was teaching this stuff to a local group, and so I wrote this long article and I made copies it was through what they used to have this thing called a copying machine. <laughs> yeah, and then you'd make copies, and I and I made copies and I handed them out at this at this class to like twenty people or something like that, and and then. Um, and then in 1995, in the fall of 1995, the internet started to become popular, including you know the HTML part, the website-ish part. Um, and and I thought, okay, I want to experiment with this and try and see if I understand how this works. Um, and I actually wrote a web browser back then, but that's another story for another day. Uh, but I made this web page that I just basically copied my article into uh, this this uh, web format so I can better understand it. And um, put it up. And um, uh, so then when people would go to a search engine long before there was Google, um, they would, you know, type in lawn care. And my article would come up as the first one just because there was nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that became really popular. And, and then after a while, I started to learn about um, how – because the article advocates how you can have an amazing lawn without having to buy any toxic gick. Like so, you know, people use weed and feed and stuff, and and it's like, oh, you don't need that, man. You can, you don't want weeds in your lawn. You can do it this way, and then plus, you can plant fun things in your lawn too if you're not using that toxic gick. And so, it did that, and then it also talked about like. Is, is is water in your lawn getting you down? <laughs> and <laughs> here's a way that you can do stuff so you don't have to water your lawn nearly as often. And yet it'll still be beautiful and green all summer long. Um, and then it's like uh, how to, you know, techniques so that you don't have to mow as often. And it's the opposite of what you would think it would be. Um, and stuff like that. So that's what my – so I, I got a lot of feedback from the article, people loving the article and stuff like that. And I got interviewed a lot back then on newspapers and radio shows and stuff. And um, so I started to kind of calculate the number of people that have seen the article and the number of positive responses. And I started to kind of get an idea of like, wow, you know, I think that me and this little article, I I think I may have – Reduce toxic gick in the world by the order of maybe two or three train loads, like hundreds of train cars of toxic gick. And I'm thinking, 
Yay, me. <laughs> so then I'm starting to think like, okay, what are some other fronts that I could like repeat this and help and make a difference? So I went, for, so I just started writing more and more and more and more. And, uh, and then on and then the forums kind of came from like, I would try to go to forums on the internet to talk about my crazy ideas. And then like on each of the different forums, there's a different thing going down. It's like, if you're not spraying with Roundup, you're just not farming. <laughs> so I, it was hard for me to talk about polyculture there, you know, <clears throat> or yeah. Google culture or something like that. And then I'd go to other places that were like for permaculture and it's like, oh, you're an American. Everybody knows Americans are dumb fucks. So anything you say is is shit. Yeah. You know, and it's like, so I couldn't talk there either. And I'd, I'd go around. these. So finally it was like, damn it. Well, I'm geeky. I know how to make a forum. Just go get the forum software and you, you plug it in here. And then and then I can be a dick my own way. <laughs> and, and talk about the shit I want to talk about. So I did. I, I created forums. And, and I had, I mean, at the time, I already had forums about talking about software engineering. And so it's like I just needed to make a new forums on, new, on a new domain. And, uh, and so I set it up. And then I, I, I had these conversations. And I basically said, if you want to talk about anything that's less than organic, go find someplace else to talk about it. And if you want to argue with somebody, go someplace else. And you want to, you know, advocate Roundup, go somewhere else. You want to – and it's like this is only for – I only want to talk to people about the things I want to talk about the way I want to talk about it. So I was really, really strict. And it turned out that there was an enormous amount of people that felt the same way. And, and so then the, the, the forums at Permies grew to be massive, which now you've – You've experienced that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, permies.com, I, um, I first, you know, because I, I found, because I started watching your YouTube videos after watching your World Domination Gardening series, and uh, you'd always promote it. And then I went there, and I was like, whoa, there's so much information on here. And then it comes to find out, like, it's the largest permaculture forum. Um, oh, yeah. It's way big, way big. <laughs> so, how did you get introduced to permaculture? Because you were you were gardening, you're doing the lawn thing, you're doing these interviews. When did when did in that process did you discover permaculture? So, I did the gardening thing, and then I did the master gardener program, and then I did the advanced master gardener program, and then I um, I kept reading oodles of books and being obsessed. Um, and I just needed more land than an urban lot. I mean, I, I just wasn't – I wanted to do more than would fit on my urban lot. And so I bought 80 acres and uh, uh, went there and I started doing more and more and more and more. And then I'm constantly doing experiments. And um, at my new place with the 80 acres, this, this neighbor comes by. And uh, I'm, he says, oh, you're, you know, I'm telling him about my experiments. And he says, oh, that's permaculture. And that was the first time I'd ever heard the word. So now I've got a whole new gob of books that I'm pulling in and looking at. And, you know, you go right for the first one, Bill Mollison's book, uh, the big black book, uh, Permaculture Designer's Manual. And it's like opening it up and like page one, page two. It's like that is exactly what I think. And 
and it's like uh, uh, all the things I thought I'd invented were it turns out somebody invented them long before I did. <laughs> and and then there's a whole bunch of stuff I'd never thought of, and it's like ooh, I want to try that too. And so I just the next thing you know, I'm totally bonkers about permaculture, and it begins. <laughs> So when did you, because I know a lot of, um, you know, you referenced Sepp Holzer quite a bit. How did you come to uh, build and develop that relationship with Sepp? <laughs> the mighty, the glorious, the amazing Sepp Holzer. Um, I think it was shortly after I learned the word permaculture that, uh, like, within a couple of months, I found out that there were these three VHS tapes uh, I think this was before there were DVDs uh, and that were about permaculture. And, and it's like as I'm consuming all permaculture information everywhere, then I got these three VHS tapes. <laughs> and um, I watched all three of them probably about 20 times each. And um, and it's like this is the the – best example of what I want to do. And so that was 2001 or so. And, um, and I finally met Sepp in 2009 and I don't speak a lick of German and he doesn't speak a lick of English, but we got along, like we were BFFs the moment we met. And I think part of it is just because I'm a giant motherfucker. <laughs> How tall and are you, Paul? I'm 6'6", six, six, which is the same height as Michael Jordan, yeah, the basketball player. And um, uh, so I'm really enormous. And it seems like some people come from foreign countries and they come here. We have lots of people who come here now. And it's like I am the most giant person they've ever seen in all of their life. <laughs> and I kind of think like, oh, come on. You've certainly you've seen bigger people than me and because uh, I see bigger people than me all the time. And, uh, and it's like, no, I'm by far. There was one gal that was here from Thailand, and she was like, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe she's never seen a guy that's even six feet tall or something. And it's like, I'm, you know, brah, rah. <laughs> it is the Yeti. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, apparently I'm very giant. So anyway, I think, I think I was a bit of a giant novelty to Sep. And so somehow we got to be great friends, like, instantly. And, um, and so... Uh, but but it's like you know, Sep's a Sep's Sep's accomplished a lot of epic shit, and along the way, uh, he's pissed some people off. So, for example, Sep has paid more agricultural fines than anybody else in all of Europe, and and so you got to figure that that came as a result of he probably pissed somebody off. Yeah. Um, and I think that any time that you're doing anything new, that there's a lot of people where they kind of feel like, if I don't know what it is, it must be bad. And so, therefore, I must stop you. <clears throat> I think this is actually a human nature thing. I think that, you know, long, long ago, um, before there were DVDs and VHS tapes and maybe even writing, uh, the idea was is that if I'm about to put of food up to my face and somebody is standing next to me that's part of my tribe, they might, you know, see me about to put it in my pie hole and they'll slap it out of my hands. Like, 
No, what the fuck you think you're doing? You don't put that in your mouth. You could die from that shit. <laughs> and that's how our tribe existed in a large part. It's, and so then this, this slapping food out of people's mouths technique became a survival thing. And uh, it's like, no, you, you think you're eating the good berries, but man, that is not the good berries, you dumb fuck. Uh, <laughs> good thing I was here to save you. No, we only eat the berries we know for sure don't kill you, dude. You know, so whenever anybody does anything new, then it gets, you know, they have to be slapped down. That's a survival instinct kind of a thing. And the way that we have new things now these days is that you got to have a $200 million advertising campaign. <laughs> it's iPod. Look at these sexy people dancing with their iPod iPod is good. Boobies. iPod is good. <laughs> and so now, you know, oh, iPod must be good. But if you came out with the iPod, or even worse yet, you know, some dude out in the middle of the street with a card table sitting there with a soldering iron and some bits. What are you doing there? I'm making an iPod. That Slap. <laughs> no, you're not. That's bad. It's I saved your life. <laughs> <laughs> That molten metal was going to eat you. <laughs> and I was fucking making an iPod and you ruined it. No, you weren't. You were making a disaster. Good thing I came along and stopped you. If I didn't stop you, I'd have to call the authorities and they'd stop you. So I saved his death. <laughs> so, uh, thou shalt not innovate. I think it was my message. Hey, did you ask me a question? Did I answer no, it? I you, you, you know, it was great. Family. It was uh, how you met Seth. Uh, I found it entertaining either way because it's it's absolutely the truth. I think innovation, especially in the realm of agriculture now, is something that um, I'm. It's really been removed, and you're not allowed to do it because of, you know because of corporate interests. And I mean, you gave a permaculture. You gave a talk at, at Permaculture Voices about corporate trolls, even. And I don't, I don't know if you want to touch on that real quick because it's along the same lines. Um, of like a way for corporations to discourage uh, innovation in a way. Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at our food systems and stuff, it's like, okay, look, uh, cancer is up 400%. Um, uh, you know, so what could be causing it? Is it our food? Oh, no, no, it can't be our food. Uh, a Big Mac is still delicious, so it can't be that. <laughs> uh, if you had the Shamrock Shake, man, that's, wow. You know, so uh, I... I Getting to your question, um, yeah, my keynote, my keynote down at Permaculture Voices, um, that was kind of like something where because the the keynote I gave the year before I think was really awesome, and I did uh, you know like seventy I, I called it seventy two bricks, the bricks for building a better world, and so I touched on seventy two different little things on how to how to build a better world, and they're all like little permaculture things, you know. <clears throat> And uh, like polyculture, culture, you know, and here's, here's some of this, here's some of that. There's rocket mass heaters, Wafati, all these different, this list of cool things for building a better world rather than being angry at bad guys. And then my, the, the, the keynote presentation that I gave that you're talking about, that's like, okay, why is permaculture not a household word? Why is it that everybody's not talking about it and everybody's like, oh, yeah, it's cool. Let's do some of that. And I I think it's a very multi – the answer to that is very multifaceted. But 
there is something to be said. You meant you the thing that caught your attention was the part about corporate trolls. Now, when putting together the keynote um, speech, then part of what I'm trying to do is to say, okay, what is my unique perspective? Well, I do have the largest website, um, and it's larger than all the others combined on permaculture. And so, like, what's my unique perspective there? And it's like, I think, I think people would not believe the bullshit that that comes through. And and you know, what are the the many multiple ways that we get it? What are where is it coming from? What's the core of it? And one of it is is corporate trolls. And I think that the population at large is unaware of the existence of corporate trolls. And so, basically, what it is is that a company. It's like, okay, we're going to do a PR campaign. So we're going to do a bunch of advertising and tell people, our company is good. Our company smells like chocolate chip cookies. Our company has gone around and loved puppies. Our <laughs> company is so awesome in every way that you can imagine. Our company, the best company there is. And, and so then they do it. That's their PR campaign. But that only goes so far because everybody knows that that's bullshit. Yeah. But – Here's the other thing that they found because buying all that advertising, that was expensive shit. But here's the, here's the new approach. For like one-tenth the cost, they can hire a bunch of people and pay them obscenely to just go around the internet and say, uh, you know, whenever somebody speaks out against the company or they, they say anything that's contrary to their employer's message, then they'll come and they'll, you know, drop multiple bombs there. And they'll say, that's bullshit. Or, you know, you know, everybody knows you got to use Roundup. Roundup's the best. Hell, I drink it for breakfast every morning. You know, what, whatever they got to say in order that's part of their corporate message. And there'll be like a, a, a large company might have 100 employees whose full-time job it is to go out onto the internet and find where anybody is saying anything that is contrary to the corporate image and then, you know, debate it. And by debate it, I mean somebody might say, I've decided to use only organic fertilizers on my garden. And then there's got to be a person who says, oh, man, I don't think that's a good idea. And then there'll be 20 other people all working for the same company that are all like, yeah, I, think, I don't think it's a good idea either. And it's like, are you kidding? Think of the children. All your children will starve to death and die. Uh, you know, they'll come up with crazy shit and they'll just fill it up. Some of them will sound more rational than others, but one person advocating, you know, a life without toxins and then 20 people advocating a life with toxins because they were paid to post that there. Yeah. It's now, it's, there's, it's really, really, really hard to tell the difference between some dumb fuck and a corporate <laughs> troll. And it's like, and then in the end, it doesn't really matter. But the bottom line is, is that corporate trolls are a fact of life right now. That's, it's, there's, there's no other way around it. There's, there's oodles of them. There's thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people who 40 hours a week go on out on the internet. And for every blog that's posted, every comment on Facebook, for every whatever, anywhere, they will then say something about, no, uh, that's your job. <laughs> it's 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 crazy, but it it I mean it makes a ton of sense. Just 
working in corporate America as long as I have. Uh, well, not that. I mean, it's been, I don't know, like eight years, but I've been working for large telecommunications companies. And um, just even the way that corporations try to instill... I mean, basically, it's like they, they try to turn their, their company and their, their motto and, and uh, their whatever into a religion. And it's like, you know, it's, it's the company. Worship this company. You're here at this company. We do this for you. We do that for you. And so, it, I mean, logically, it makes sense that they're going to do that outside of their organization and try to combat it much like, um, I mean, just because, they, I mean, it's easier to, to pay corporate trolls than to to risk losing money because you know the shit that you're preaching is bad for people or the shit that you're doing isn't good for the environment or for really for anybody except for their bank accounts. So well, I think a lot of these guys that are doing terrible, horrible, monstrous things do believe in their own fucked up way that what they're doing is good for yeah. people. So yeah. it's like it's not like they're some of them, it's like, oh, I got this report. I work for a tobacco company, and I got this report, and it says tobacco gives people cancer. And it's like, well, yeah, you know, maybe a couple, but most of them, it makes them happy, and it even makes them healthier. It's like good for them. I mean, we got doctors <laughs> saying that tobacco smoke is good for you, you know? And I'm talking about, like, you know, what, 40 years ago. Yeah. Uh, well, wasn't it John Wayne get coming onto the screen and like, hello, partner, let me tell you. Tobacco smoke, especially this tobacco smoke, is one of the best things you could do for your body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they died of lung smoke. cancer. And then, yeah, lung cancer. But that, at the time, they didn't connect one with the other. It was like, you know, it, and, and, and then how basically most people in the United States today believe that cancer comes from the cancer fairy. The cancer fairy flies through the air and gets to you and goes, ding. You get cancer. Ding! Another person. <laughs> cancer for you, sucker. <laughs> and, and that's how you get cancer. I've got this crazy theory, but it's bizarre and strange. And it, and I'm sure it's labeled as a conspiracy theory by the American Medical Association. That is, I think cancer might possibly come from carcinogens. I, I'm probably wrong, but <laughs> that could be it. Yeah. So, but the same thing, you know, John Wayne, he's like, oh, this, you know, I've got this lung cancer, but if I smoke more cigarettes, I'm sure it'll go away because cigarettes are good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, and it's, it's, it's crazier too. Like, you know, people are starting to wake up to the fact that maybe all this, you know, heart disease and obesity is related to the food that people are eating or the, the bullshit that's put in the food. Um, and, uh, and, and it, it goes hand in hand. And, um, and so, uh, it, you know, it, it's, you know, I think the biggest thing is <coughs> for us is just to do like what you do, which is, you know, I mean, and I think, you know, we, we should probably transition into it because, uh, I mean, so you, you bought 80 acres and, um, you know, you start doing your own thing. You start doing permaculture, um, now the first 80 acres you bought, is that in Missoula? Is that where you are now? Or that was, was that separate? That was out on Mount Spokane in Washington state. And, um, uh, so now, now I'm in Montana and I have, uh, 300 acres. Yeah. And so I'm and but I'm, 
my my crazy and experimentation has you know gone ten years farther down the road, and now the things that I talk about are even crazier than what I talked about back then, which still seemed really crazy to most people. <laughs> well, when did you so? Do you still have that landed Spokane? No. no. Okay. Um, so okay. So now, like permaculture. So something that I've been realizing is um, it, with. Uh, 